0: The week's almost over and so we are gonna look back at the news in houston it is friday april 8th 2022 i'm lisa gray and this is citycast houston all right Farrell, evan are y'all ready to talk about the week
1: absolutely
0: very ready all right evan you go first what's your big story for the week
1: The big story this week was seeing a years-long political battle finally come to some kind of end. Although this is just, you know, the, the end of the battle and not perhaps the war. But what I'm talking about is the ongoing conflict between County Judge Lena Hidalgo and District Attorney Kim Og.
0: All right, recap. What happened?
1: So back in 2019, Kim Og went to the new Democratic majority on commissioner's court and said she needed money for 102 new prosecutors. And then she wanted a 31% increase to her budget, like massive budget boost. And they said, no. They said, you don't need that much. Work with what you've got now. We'll give you the same budget increase we're giving everyone else. And the Republicans, Jack Cagle, tried to strike some compromise and give an extra boost, but they said, no, we're just going to treat you like everyone else. This isn't special. There's no need for it. And like clockwork, Kimog kept going to them, kept asking for money, and kept saying no. And from my perspective, it seemed like someone trying to like bash their head into a brick wall. Just it was not going to move. It was not going to happen. We'd have to wait till Election Day to see if the Democrats held on to Commissioner's Court, and then Election Day 2024 to see if Kim Og won or lost for any kind of end to this constant battle.
0: If the prosecutor were Republican, this would Mm -hmm. be standard operating procedure, right? Mm -hmm. You would say law and order, these nasty Democrats are not giving me what we need. Everybody would expect it. But Kim Og is not at all a Republican.
1: No, she's not, but she used to be the head of Crime Stoppers, which is a pretty tough on crime organization. And looking back at her record, she had run as a Republican in the past, but here we are now and she's been doing this constantly just this interdemocratic party fight. And I presumed that this reflected poorly on AUG, that she just couldn't get to yes. Uh, the Chronicle had an article about her recently uh, that quoted one of her former supporters that said, I elected her to be a DA. She's become a politician and not a particularly good one at that. Uh, and and I had joked that this whole fight that's been going on Uh, really showed the need for mental health services in our criminal justice system, specifically some kind of relationship (laughs) therapist to get everyone just talking to each other. Because they kept saying yes, no, yes, no, over and over again. Well, this week, Og won.
0: Okay, so Kim Og won.
1: Right, so she got the county to give her an extra $7.2 million. Uh, It'll help her fill some positions, get some new hires, and also raise the first year prosecutor salary to $87,000 a year, which you know is no big law. It's no Baker Botts, Bracewell kind of pay, but it's pretty good for a first-year law school graduate.
0: Okay, but wait, that doesn't mean the war is over between Kim Og and Lena Hidalgo, does it? Isn't Og behind that grand jury that's looking at the possibility that Lena Hidalgo's staff steered a contract?
1: Oh, that's still it's ongoing. It's Hidalgo's
0: aides, right? It's an investigation.
1: It's an investigation into her staff and to her. And today, the Chronicle reported that uh, the uh, law enforcement investigating this are now asking Google to hand over documents, I presume Google Mail or Google Docs, uh, that they've been working on. So this is still going. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a fishing expedition. You know, maybe there's no there there. Uh, but it doesn't look good. And I think it's totally possible that on one hand, the Texas Rangers who are investigating this are being political actors with a partisan agenda. Uh, and that on the they other are hand- they're
0: Republicans opposed to Lena yeah. Hidalgo, the Democratic mm-hmm. county judge. Okay. Yeah,
1: under, under direction of the governor. But on the other hand, it's very well possible that her staff, and maybe even her, were involved in inappropriately directing a contract. Now, all of this feels a bit uh, cute by half, given that- all of the commissioners regularly as part of their jobs decide exactly who gets contracts to do work with no oversight and no strings attached and no one can tell them otherwise and they routinely give money to their contributors they routinely give money <laughs> to their friends yeah
2: hi all right Farrell. what's your big news story this week lisa i know that good news comes at a premium these days especially recently but <laughs> You covered some, what I thought was extremely good news this week on COVID, maybe the best I've heard in two years. Apparently, according to Texas Chief Epidemiologist, 99% of our population here in Texas has some immunity to COVID. Uh, That article from Houston Public Media, it also had, you know, its subheading said, as always, the caveat being the virus can be unpredictable, but it was really just this rush of great news hospitalizations fall into a two-year low, fewer people getting drastically ill, the uh, the, the least amount of hospitalizations mm-hmm. since April four of 2020. Um, there's the, the the infectious disease experts are saying that with vaccinations plus the four waves of infections brings that would bring about some sort of natural immunity. Yeah. That's how we've arrived here.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there were some questions about whether the state epidemiologists Estimate of 99% is any good, um, because it's really hard to tell how many people have had COVID in Texas. Right. Especially because Texas numbers are so crappy. (laughs) We just don't (laughs) keep good stats here. But generally, yeah, COVID is looking, you know, cross your fingers and, I don't know, pray that BA2 is docile. But looking pretty
2: good. Looking pretty good for the moment.
0: Yeah, so the big story for me, the one that I think is going to be big going forward is that Dan Patrick, Texas lieutenant governor uh, and show horse, has signed on to the Don't Say Gay push. He wants Texas to roll out a law like Florida's that would prevent K-3 through teachers from ever mentioning the existence of... same-sex couples, or anything else related to LGBT human beings. Um, And it would be enforced the way that Texas abortion law is enforced, which is like, you know, citizens suing. Which just, you know, I think that would be a nightmare for teachers. You know, if a kid has two mommies, can both mommies come read? I mean, what happens in that classroom?
1: It seems so, I mean, intentionally discriminatory to me that the presumption is, well, if you're talking about same-sex couples, it's got to be sex. It's got to be prurient in some way. Oh, uh, that's
0: actually how it's being packaged, that we don't want, like, yeah, pornography in our K-3 exactly. classrooms. But, like,
1: straight couples can do nasty shit, too, and talk inappropriately to kids about it. Uh, and the laws, as they're written, don't necessarily prevent that.
0: yeah. But, you know, does this mean that, you know, you can't ask kids to draw their families or, you know, if you've got, you know, a gay teacher, he can't show his husband's photo on his desk? I mean, what what is the line there?
1: Well, and let's get to the core problem in Texas that there is a real threat to vulnerable children in the state and its child protective services is (laughs) incredibly poorly run, is dangerous to kids. Yeah. And the state seems to either not care or is trying to cover it up, as we're seeing in a few situations, uh, and just hasn't been able to fix it. I remember being in high school mm-hmm. and uh, my girlfriend at the time helped co-found the first Gay-Straight Alliance. And I could probably tell you about how well the relationship ended up going. <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> one of like, the parents got wind of this and wrote a letter deeply concerned and terrified that the students were going to try to recruit others. They're going to recruit them to be gay. And I was kind of heartened that several other parents pushed back and said, no, not really. We're not too worried about this. But here we are again 20 years later, the same thing, the same dumb fight about the same stuff.
0: Yeah, now the verb is grooming. Mm. That, you know, if you tell a third grader that, you know, somebody has same-sex parents that is somehow grooming
1: well it's just an insult to actual survivors of sexual abuse Uh, undermines the actual fight against sexual abuse of children by taking this term that I thought had some specific meaning and transforming it into a catch-all for people I don't like
0: yeah which is a lot of politics these days all right so let's do underplayed stories um what do you think should have gotten more attention this
2: week? I'm not sure if this has actually been underreported, but it's the string of neighborhoods that saw the influx of disturbing flyers that resident, residents have essentially woken up to in the morning when they All outside. All those white
0: supremacist
2: right. type. Right, yeah. white supremacist, uh, red one, anti-Semitic. Uh, this week it happened in Katy, pamphlets, like you said, with white power imagery. Uh, it resonated with me when I worked in an office before I took this job for, uh, with CityCast. We had a fax machine. Even as recently as 2019, we didn't. <laughs> they still we, exist. Uh, yeah, I, and we, but we didn't use it for faxes, but it, it communicated with other computers for printouts of like market prices and stuff like that. Things that typically occurred at the end of the day or the middle of the night. And I do mm-hmm. remember walking in on several occasions into the office, We'd, you'd walk in and you'd see these sheets uh, we'd be targeted by someone and there would just be a whole bunch of sheets that would fall even on the floor with swastikas, same sort of pamphlet that I saw. It's very disturbing to see. You've, it felt like a violation when you would walk in. Uh, imagery, you didn't want to be affiliated with your business for one thing. Right. So um, I can only imagine what those residents are feeling when they wake up to that.
1: Oh Yeah, I've seen that, and it's happened a few times, and I, sometimes I wonder whether giving it news coverage is the right move, because well, it is I... on one hand newsworthy, but this gets done to get attention. Maybe the right thing to do is just take this and shove it into the dark corners of society where it belongs. Like Government can't and shouldn't ban speech like that, but we don't have to give it attention. We don't have to give it any more oxygen.
2: Right. Yeah. I actually thought about that today, but here we are.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Let it recede back to the dark corners of the Mm -hmm. internet.
2: Yeah. And I think that was in one of the, um, I think that was in one of the articles because there's several articles out about it. One of the articles said that was exactly how to to do it. And that's why I was thinking underreported. Maybe this is an overreported story that I'm putting in the (laughs) underreported category. (laughs) Anyway.
0: Yeah. I was struck that it was happening in, you know, what we think of as nice neighborhoods like (laughs) the Heights and Katy, where you just think, oh, nobody's going to go for that. But who knows?
1: I presume they just drive in.
0: (laughs) I don't know. But you
1: never know. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes you wonder. All right, my underreported story is catalytic converters, because Mm. I think... Those thefts are underlying some of those shootings that the media has been obsessing over. Um, so thefts of catalytic converters are way up um, all over the country because you know, supply chain glitches and demand for um, electric car batteries means that the, um, the metals in them are just worth crazy amounts of money. And so thieves are rolling under you know, big tall pickups or SUVs and in just a few minutes sawing off the catalytic converter and scooting away. And what we have seen in the last month or so are some of these interrupted thefts turning violent. You know, in one case a Harris County deputy was shot and killed. And, you know, I just wonder where do we go from there? How do you stop people from stealing catalytic converters?
1: Now, it seems like this is one of those problems that happens throughout the criminal justice system is that focus is on the uh, street level instance of crime and not looking further up the supply chain at who's the big buyer, who's the Literally seller.
0: the supply chain, yeah. <laughs> I guess exactly. it's, it's not the supply, it's the receiving end, the buying right, chain. That but, someone, right,
1: that someone, that there's some kind of recycling center that's taking these yeah. in, and presumably they do uh, regular business as well. So yeah. why is law enforcement not trying to target them? And maybe they are, uh, but it seems that that is the place you would want to put your effort. That is like the funnel point. And if yeah. you take that out of the mix, then suddenly the, the market starts to dry up.
0: Yeah. Also, if I were an automaker, just as a matter of business i would start putting the vehicle identification number on each catalytic converter mm-hmm. just to make it easier to trace and then you know that's a cheap thing to do and then you can tout it as an anti-theft
1: measure <laughs> uh, well i for one am glad that in this day and age i drive a low to the ground honda civic so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no safe. no one's getting under there
0: yeah I drive a load-of-the-ground fit, and it is Ooh. a manual transmission, which oh means my gosh. nobody knows how to steal my car.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I've heard it called a millennial theft prevention device <laughs> because only old people know how to drive stick shifts.
1: My underreported news for the week is that uh, Houston Police Department was part of a national study into officer training, uh, into something called procedural justice. Uh, they took... One group of officers and gave them training in fairness and equality and the importance of giving people a voice and maintaining neutrality and treating people with respect and showing trustworthy motives and then they took a control group and just didn't give them that training and then they mm-hmm. had the officers go out to do hot spot policing in high crime areas uh, and the outcomes were astounding the officers who had the training their areas had less crime but also fewer arrests and more trust between the community and officers. Uh, And at this moment where there's still a lot of tension over Mm -hmm. policing and police violence, and we see crime uh, or violent crime has skyrocketed during COVID, there's a lot of questions of what is it that we should be doing? And folks are calling for being tougher on crime and getting the bad guys and locking them up and showing no tolerance for uh, bad actions. But what this shows is, Well, not really, is that you should focus like a laser on the really high risk uh, people in places where violence happens, but for everyone else, don't get them entangled, like treat them with respect, treat them like normal people, give them a break and stuff turns out better for everyone else. That the police alone can't just impose safety on a community, it has to be created in partnership with them. Uh, And it's great to see that this happened here in Houston and I really hope that it spreads throughout the country.
0: Okay, so I am really interested in this because do you remember the broken windows theory? Mhm. which I think also had some Houston ties. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the opposite. The idea yeah. is that you crack down on the little
2: stuff like people peeing in public. I don't public know the broken or... windows theory.
1: Yeah, the the broken windows theory is the idea that if you allow little uh, bad actions to happen, that'll self-perpetuate and grow into worse things. If you see a building that's got some broken windows and they never get repaired, well, then more people will feel comfortable throwing rocks through those windows and breaking down the doors and doing other stuff because it sets a social standard of acceptable behavior and shows that uh, police will not be there and society won't be there to enforce it, and it creates a safe space for bad behavior. But what we're learning is that, well, often, That kind of policing just results in getting a whole bunch of people and putting them through an incredibly punitive system that leaves them worse off, not better off. And that if you really do want to improve neighborhoods, uh, you can just replace the windows that are broken. You can tear down the old buildings. You can put in good trees and good lighting. uh, And that's something that the county has done or is doing.
0: But I don't have to put the kid who threw the rock through the window in jail.
1: No, in fact, research shows that not prosecuting people for their first offense uh, actually results in them being less likely to have later offenses. Oh, this is interesting. It really is. It's the sort of thing where if you ask yourself, well, how would I want my kids to be treated when they did something wrong? Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably how you should treat every kid, which is, well, you don't want them to get in the sort of trouble that ruins them for the rest of their lives. And you shouldn't let one broken window result in a trip to jail
0: all right let's talk moments of joy um i am really glad that on saturday the art car parade is going to be back it is this weird free houston civic celebration that involves you know messing around with petrochemical fueled vehicles you know you take <laughs> A regular old factory-issue car, and you make it weird, strange, unrecognizable. And it makes me happy.
1: It really feels like a uh, Houston type of celebration. Yes, we're still in cars. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, But there's no planning around it. There's no zoning in what your car is going to look like. The design is going to be bizarre and done by yourself. It's a lot of (laughs) outsider art. There's not a lot of professionalism involved.
0: Right. There's a wildness to it. I mean, one of yeah. the interesting things has been watching the Art Car Parade grow up. You know, it's got rules. It's got sponsors now over the decades. And I'm also curious to see what's going to happen to it as people are backing away from, you know, fossil fuel powered vehicles.
1: <laughs> well, maybe that'll you make know. it even more interesting. Maybe. you're going to have to build your car from the ground up or find an old clunker uh, and find some way to make it all work. I love seeing yeah. all of the, the schools that do it with their kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, that seems fun. hmm And I'm curious whether there will be, like, art Priuses.
1: <laughs> well, keep our eyes open for, like, an art Nissan Leaf or an art Tesla. Like, how long is it going to be before <laughs> the first generation of electric cars really starts to get into the realm of, here, we don't need this anymore, uh, cover it in plastic butterflies? <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right Farrell. what have you got
2: what what are you joyful about it's i'm glad to have baseball back Uh, (laughs) from what it seems i know this is a debate for people far more knowledgeable than me but from my view as a transplant this seems like a baseball town and i'm Mm -hmm. happy for houston that is back and what a weekend it should be by the way it's going to be glorious baseball and art car weather Apparently. But, you know, I know there was a little chatter this week about from Beltron and the trash can scandal. They probably, it seems they always start these seasons off still uh, mad about that World Series. Right, right. But, (laughs) but even with the loss of Correa, apparently the Astros still have some firepower. If I looked at Fox Sports bet today, who came out with this list, I think yesterday, and the Astros are fourth from the top uh, in odds to win the world, the, the world series. The only ones ahead of them are the Dodgers, the blue Jays and the Yankees in that order. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. And I think, uh, for the city, I'm, I'm really glad it's back. That sounds good. Evan, what's making you happy?
1: I am happy because it is a low season. The trees are filled with plump little orange, yellow fruits. And I, eat them every day and I cook with them and I'm taking advantage of this moment trying to use every single one before they fall to the floor or get eaten by squirrels.
0: <laughs> yeah so you have loquats growing in your yard.
1: I have a few loquat trees and over the years I've seen in the spring loquats growing up little saplings from the ones that had fallen and then seeded and I would take them and I'd put them in pots and get them till they're of reasonable size. And then I'd hand them out to friends or replant them somewhere else. And then I'd get a new loquat tree.
0: Oh, you're like the Johnny Appleseed of loquats. Yeah. Johnny. <laughs> spreading Loqu- them e- across Houston, these decorative plants that are producing delicious fruit.
1: Mm-hmm. Evan loquat seed. That's my
0: <laughs> name now. Yeah. So what do you do with loquats? You cook with them? I them. I've always I just cook with eaten them.
1: them. Oh, you can I do know. that. They're tasty, but yeah, there's a lot of straight them. Straight
0: off the tree. Yeah. Uh,
1: so I've made a loquat upside down cake. Uh-huh. Just like any other upside-down cake, you sort of cut the loquats in half, you take out the seeds, you put them on the bottom of the pan, you fill it up, and then you cook it. Something to keep in mind uh, is that you just usually have to bake it a little longer than you would, say, pineapple upside-down cake, just Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of liquid in those things. So you want to cook it off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So what do you all think ethically about sneaking loquats off a tree (laughs) where the owner doesn't seem to realize they're edible? If I'm walking by on the sidewalk, I'm tempted
1: sometimes.
2: It's theft, Lisa. It's theft. Oh.
1: <laughs> in my neighborhood, there is a big scandal because someone was stealing oranges off of an orange tree and lemons off a lemon tree in someone's front yard. And they put up a sign asking them not to and even put up a camera. And you see this happen in neighborhoods across the city. Every now and then someone mad, it's, they're taking their stuff. The, the solution with this, uh. It's to just dress up like a squirrel, pretend you're a squirrel, (laughs) and they won't know any different.
2: So, so can you get them at, like, can you get them anywhere, though, like a a Mm. farmer's market? You can get them at farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. That's the only place, though.
0: But actually, if you walk around town, Farrell, these trees are all over the place Mm -hmm. because they were planted because they're beautiful, they're decorative, they grow really well here, and lots of people don't realize these wonderful little fruits are edible. So, that's... Mm -hmm. That's why I'm so tempted.
2: I've never eaten one. I I have zero idea what they would taste like or what they would be like, whether you peel them or
1: (laughs) or Uh, what. They're kind of like little apricots, except the seed instead of a pit is kind of like a cherry seed. But usually there's about two or three or four of them. It's a lot of seed per fruit, Uh, Mm. but there's a lot of them. So you get pretty good at just kind of eating the whole thing and then spitting out the seed like you would with a cherry.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, and they're they called taste, Japanese plums. Yeah.
1: They taste a little bit like yeah. apricots, but depending on like the specific one you get and how ripe it is, sometimes they're a little more sour. Sometimes they're a little more sweet. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm definitely eating them. All right. Well, uh-huh. thank you both. This has been fun.
2: This is great. All thank right. you, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Have
0: a good weekend. That is it for this week on CityCast Houston. Dina Kespa is our senior producer. Farrell Gibbs is our producer. And his band, All the Kimonos, plays our theme song. We will be back on Monday. Talk with you then. Friday energy meaning I am ready to lie on the floor in an exhausted puddle.